Hello everyone, welcome to Advocacy Arena, the place to bring awareness and solution-oriented focus to important issues in our society. And today I am joined by Mark Janice, who is going to be sharing with us some things regarding our Supreme Court uh, our Supreme Court and some other legal issues because Mark is a lawyer. So I want to get uh, give Mark an opportunity to introduce himself. Uh, Mark and I met virtually, actually, in Twitter spaces and got to know him and his expertise, and I'm so excited to have him here with me today to share some of that with you. So, Mark, would you just like to introduce yourself, uh, tell people what you do, uh, what your background is a little bit, and uh, then I'm going to kind of uh, ask you some questions to get our conversation started. Uh, so let me start with my background. Well, I'm, I'm the son of a civil rights uh, um, uh, lawyer um, who worked for uh, 40 years in, in uh, civil rights and, and employment discrimination based upon race. Um, and I went to law school in a, at a uh, law school in, in the, on the West Coast. Um, my first uh, foray into con law was what well, constitutional law was my first con law class where I had my first black male professor and um, that made an impact on me. And I, um, I, 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 which I did what you call amjuring, which is the American jurisprudence award it means you get the top grade in the class in, in con law. I didn't think that anything of that uh, at the time, it was, it was kind of nice just to get the top grade in that class, just because I had a black professor. Um, I didn't know that later in life, in democracy first, all that knowledge that I thought I mastered would be tested. Um, I later um, worked for, um, I did appearances for a lot of black lawyers in, in LA, including Johnny Cochran and, and uh, Judge David Hereford, who actually was the judge on the Meg, uh, the People versus Daystar Peterson, otherwise known as Tory Lane's case. Um, okay. And then I became a, a district attorney and uh tried several cases in domestic violence, uh, general felonies, um, and then also uh, gang violence up to in, and including murder. Um, then also, you know, I did some civil litigation after that. Um, and, uh, you know, after trials and tribulations got exhausted with that, now I'm a, a adjunct professor teaching undergrad pre-law at a local uh, college here in the South. And also I uh, am in tech and I do, um, totally non-law related stuff uh in tech all right <laughs> but, but we all need that but i love i love democracy first because i was you know it's, it's an inclusive conversation that i was able to um just like talk about things that i know about to in, inform people regarding the opinions they have um and 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 arm them with constitutional material that reinforce some of the th our shared beliefs and values. Absolutely. And uh, when Mark is mentioning Democracy First, Democracy First is a Twitter space, um, basically a, a podcast because it's a recorded um, um, it's audio, and it's a, a place that uh, I created along with someone else um, for a year. We had conversations um, around issues regarding our democracy, and Mark came into our community, and he was able to share with us, um, give us some many uh, great insights on legal cases that were coming up and just um, – um, 
background on legal issues that we might uh, be discussing, because one of the topics that we discussed a lot in Democracy First was uh, civil rights, which Mark, uh, you know, was able to give us uh, some great scholarly background on how they came about. We, um, you know, had uh, history professors in there to give us a historical perspective, and um, Advocacy Arena is a it's a new podcast, and as I said, it's designed and um, was created actually before I started having those Democracy First conversations. Uh, the concept was created, um, but um, the content um, wasn't clarified until I started having those great conversations in Democracy First, because that's my passion. And I um, was able to find people like Mark, who's who had a lot of other expertise and passion, because Mark is very passionate about the law, and that was one of the things that drew me to him and uh, kept me uh, inviting him back and, to be a part of our conversation. And I wanted to get our conversation here today started talking about uh, just some of the cases that are now um, you know, going before the Supreme Court and the impact that they have on our democracy and, you know, some of our civil rights, uh, things that we have really come to take for granted that are now in jeopardy. And uh, you can dive in on any of them that you would like to, and, and we'll just go from there. Uh, absolutely. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on in the Supreme Court, as, as we know. Right. Um, and uh, we've had a bunch of uh, voting rights cases. So when we think about what's going on in the Supreme Court, we have uh, a, um, a group of cases in, in different, I call them different cups of, of justice, right? We have, we have some civil rights cases going on. We have some voting rights cases going on. Um, and we have, we have uh, voting limits rights cases going on. Um, one of which is Arduin versus Robinson, which is a Louisiana case that's joined by several other states that uh, that talks about uh, how voting districts are are drawn in states. So that's, is that the one where they ask the question about you know what's black or who is black? Correct. Is that the same case? Yes. Okay. And, and oral arguments have not been set yet, but those are kind of some of the big cases that are going on. A lot of the cases that are going on right now center around, or at least have have touched upon, the Fourteenth Amendment and how this current court is interpreting the Fourteenth Amendment. Um, and so, uh, a, lo a lot of the common things that you find me talking about are uh, the arguments of originalism versus the Fourteenth Amendment. Um, the Thirteenth and Fourteenth and Fifteenth Amendment were post Civil War. Um, uh, amendments that were made to incorporate black people or former former slaves, African-American slaves, Negro slaves into America and make them full citizens. So uh, the argument, there's a lot of argument in some of these cases that are before us today that, that are centered around what is, is the 13th, well, is the 14th and 15th Amendment, are they colorblind or are they color conscience or color conscious? Um, and there's a big difference between color blind and color consciousness. Color consciousness doesn't mean it's based upon race. Color consciousness means that when they did it, they took into account race. And so how do we interpret that over 150 years later? That's the argument that's being made before the Supreme Court on, on, on a lot of our major issues, including uh, some of the voting rights cases, too. Okay. And um, 
the other case that um, recently passed this spring, um, Roe versus um, Wade, um, how do you see that passing? Um, like, do um, because it's 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 kind of like um, the president uh, President Biden said it's the first time that the Supreme Court actually made a ruling that actually took away um, a right. And um, how do you see the cases that are currently pending, you know, these reconstruction error um, rights, you know, that that we got the amendments like the 13th and the 14th, um, the cases that are coming before them now, how do you see them going with the makeup that we currently have of the court, you know, and, and, and maybe a little bit as to how they're even why they're even there, how that how we got there with these. So, so the, the makeup of the court is important before even we talk about okay. the issues uh, uh, okay. uh, of how they're how they're ruling, because we already know how they were going to rule by the makeup of the court. And a whole there's a whole separate conversation that actually you've brought up before about how we got here. And I don't want to. I, I want to stick to the makeup of the court uh, because it's important okay. to understand who these individuals are and what what their focus is. Um, so we have Clarence Thomas is the oldest member of the Supreme Court. Um, Clarence has always had a problem with substantive due process, and when I say substantive due process, this is the, the, the there's procedural due process Supreme Court cases, and there's substantive due process Supreme Court cases. Substantive due process uh, is more like the things that are unenumerated in the Constitution, meaning they weren't really plainly stated in the original makeup of the Constitution, but they were found to be rights um, called um, they they, uh, they were among what the uh, the Griswold v. Connecticut court called a penumbra of rights. So I've never even heard penumbra used other than penumbra of rights in normal conversation. I might have been at a cocktail party and said, you know, you're you're you know, you're penumbrally beautiful or something like that. I probably haven't, but I'm just I'm, I'm just making a big joke. But but nobody uses penumbra, right? But it, but the, uh, you know, so one uh, one of the examples of a penumbra right is uh, the right to privacy, which was found in Griswold v. Connecticut, which had to do with um, you know married couples contraception. That people have a right to do stuff in their own home uh, and, and without governmental intervention as to what they do in their own home. Um, and, and so what the Supreme Court there said, hey, look, we have the we have the Fifth Amendment. We have the third. We have the 14th Amendment. And, you know, what they kind of allude to is that, you know, and also the, the Fourth Amendment, too. They allude to this thing that called privacy. Right. You have a right to remain silent. You know, your private thoughts. You have you have a, you know, you have to have a search warrant. The government has to have a search warrant to invade your space, um, your car, your, your your home. So there's a right to privacy. So Clarence Thomas has had a problem with judge made law. He, he calls it judge made law. Now, with Clarence Thomas. There's Justice Alito, and there's Justice Gorsuch, and then there's Justice uh, there's Justice Kavanaugh, and there's then there's Justice mm-hmm. uh, um, there's uh, just Amy Coney Barrett. So there they are along these lines of of persons that don't like what they call judge made law, and you will hear the terms when it comes to them uh, of originalists or textualists, right? And then you have the makeup of the court. Then you have the other. You have three other. Um, you have three lib- what they call liberal justices, uh, Kavanaugh, I mean, excuse me, uh, Kagan, 
Justice Elena Kagan, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson, and, and Justice uh, Sonia Sotomayor um, that are aligned with the, you know, what, what people call the left side of the Supreme Court, the non-conservative side. So uh, we are not we are not staged in a typical historical conservative versus liberal Supreme Court. We are staged in, in, a, in a court. And you have John Roberts in the middle, the chief justice, sorry. John Roberts is in the middle, but he's more, he's a very conservative judge. So with regard to Roe versus Wade, and you can't say Roe versus Wade without Casey versus Planned Parenthood, because Casey actually was a limitation on Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade has been limited quite often over the a number of years by different cases. Uh, so the attack on Roe versus Wade didn't just start this year. It started, you know, mm-hmm. When in 1970, it started in 1973, I think, when the 74, I think, when the case was first came about, it was a uh, it was a judicial way of saying a woman, a woman's body is a part of that right to privacy that she gets to choose the way her what her body reacts to with regard to her own medical care. Um, And then they limited it. They limited the woman's right to choose. Right. So let's let's look at we have to when we look at Roe, we have to look at there's governmental limits in Roe. The government is intruding upon a woman's body in Roe versus Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood. So we're not talking about ultimate freedom of choice for women. Um, Roe versus Wade is an example of the court saying there's a limit, but here's the limit. What what Dodd did, which is the, the case that came about in 2022, is say, you know what, we're going to leave these limits up to the states. We're, we're taking away that that ruling, and we're saying every state can choose how the government intercedes into a woman's health care when it comes to pregnancy. Or And, and what it alluded to is that the, uh, the Supreme Court was open to the idea of government also interjecting themselves into contraception and, and other rights to privacy in your own bodily autonomy. Um, so that's the problem where we're at, and the, and the way we got here, and it's no, it's no, it's no mystery how we got here. We got here because the last president was able to appoint three justices. The uh, president before was only able to appoint two that replaced two liberal justices. There was no turnover on what President Obama was able to do. He appointed justices that were had this, pretty much the same position, um, but um, Justice, I mean, excuse me, President, former President. Trump was able to appoint justices to turn the court into what we call a 6-3 court. Now, in my lifetime, we've never had a 6-3 court. It's always been a kind of a 5-4 conservative court, uh, with the fifth person being, you know, the kind of like, it used to be Justice Kennedy, but just, well, that's a whole other conversation about why Justice Kennedy right. is there, why he's <laughs> not there. But I really wanted to, I, I wanted to set that background to make sure that we understand that Roe versus Wade as a as a platform case, as a seminal case, as far as uh, freedom uh, for women, was still a limiting case. It still limited mm-hmm. a woman's right to you know you, you can't get an abortion whenever you want in in America, even with Roe versus Wade. But right, this Supreme Court decided it wasn't based upon good law, and they decided that because of history, it was a new standard that was placed upon us. Because older, what we, we used to talk about was was scrutiny, right? How the, the level of the level that the government had to prove go beyond in order to interfere in your own liberty and your own life. 
now right because was it not based on privacy was that yes is that how it yes right so and, and so and, and when I, we talk about in, in the seminal case with regard to privacy is griswold v connecticut um and then all other cases including roe versus wade casey versus planned parenthood texas v lawrence um include which is includes lgbtq rights um and other uh privacy rights are all based upon griswold versus connecticut so when we talk about Supreme Court and law, the attack on Roe versus Wade through Dodd and the opinion that they're from is actually an attack on Griswold, our right to privacy and how they're going to redefine privacy in the next in these next few years. They're going to redefine it, meaning that they're going to redefine it in the sense that the government can intercede into your own right to bodily autonomy more than you think they can, than you thought they could. Okay. All right. So um, thank you for that um, great kind of background there on that. Now, I know that uh, you also had an opportunity to have your uh, first uh, Twitter space, which was phenomenal. And it was um, kind of triggered by um, your following um, a case, a a very current case, and I would like for you to tell us a little bit about that and, and why you were drawn to it. Well, because I think, you know, it kind of pulls on your background and some of the reasons that you went into law and some of the areas of law that, you know, you worked and practiced in. So I, I, got, into, I got into law um, by accident, um, but my focus was domestic violence prevention. Uh, I worked a lot in, um, with a lot of domestic, domestic violence victims. I prosecuted a lot of domestic violence cases. I was one of the most successful domestic violence prosecutors in the state of California at one time. Um, and I was, you know, the Department of Justice asked me to teach prosecutors around the country how to do these cases because I was so successful. Um, not just getting victims to testify on their own behalf, but winning cases when they, when it almost wasn't in their best interest to, to do so. So, um, why I say that is because I looked at the People versus Daystar Peterson, otherwise known as Tory Lane's case, as a domestic violence case. I looked through that lens because um, it's a violence against women uh, case. Um, he was accused of shooting a gun and it injuring uh, a, a a person named Megan Pete, but she's artistically known as Megan the Stallion. Um, I'm not a particular fan of. Megan, the St- I have two daughters. I'm not having, I don't play Megan the Stallion's music in my house. <laughs> I don't, right? I barely know who Tory Lanez is. I, I've never heard one song. If you played a Tory Lanez song, I wouldn't even know who he is. I, so I don't, I, I didn't, I never got into the, I never got into the minutia of the characters. Um, what drew me to the case was um, the amount of initial vitriol and disdain that was, was uh, placed upon the, the young lady, Megan Pete or Megan the Stallion that was shot. So I, you know, to me, it's like some guy is accused of shooting a gun and he, you know, he hit this lady. Now it's important that we understand that he wasn't accused of attempted murder, right? So he didn't right. shoot. So when people say he, sh- I, sometimes I've even made the mistake. Like he didn't shoot at her. If he shot at her, that'd be attempted murder. He shot a gun and the bullets, some bullets landed on the ground and broke apart or they landed on something and hit her feet. So he was shooting at the ground 
while she was outside of a car after a party in LA two years ago. Um, I, I started making these comments and started getting a lot of, a lot of like hate mail. Like, you know, <laughs> They'll come for you quick, won't they? <laughs> right. To the point where I had to put, I had to put like, hey, I've tried 90 plus trials, state and federal, you know, court in my profile because I'm like, hey, be careful who you're talking, you know, I want to let you know who you're talking to when I talk about evidence. Now, I wasn't, I don't, I don't care what happened in the party. I don't care that she was, I, I didn't really care whether... I didn't really care whether she had sex with the guy. It, it didn't really matter. What we, you know, what they, what the state had to prove was, did the dude shoot a gun and was somebody hurt? That's it. Um, and this, it became this whole big thing, and it reminded me as I talked to some of our other friends, our, our you know, cohorts, um, in in the collective group of people. It's not a collective as a as a noun. It's a collective group of people. Um, more mm-hmm. more of a pronoun actually. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not a pronoun, but more of an adjective. Um, but, you know, as I talked to people, I, I started to realize that there's this thing with black women when they're hurt that we place blame on them for being hurt. When they're, when they're physically hurt by, like, somebody. It doesn't even have to be a black man. It's like anybody. Like, what did you do? What did you do to deserve this? Um, I, and I saw the same treatment of someone I hold dearly. You know, I used to work for Kamala Harris. So, um, I saw it's a similar treatment to her. She's, she's castigated and almost to the point where she couldn't even like embellish, not, not just, not, not embellish, but she couldn't even embrace the fact that she was a prosecutor that kept the community safe. Now, my grandmother lived in Sobrani Park in Oakland, which is a very dangerous neighborhood. And all she wanted to do was be safe there. She didn't care about whether the knuckleheads went to jail or not that were like trying to break into her house. And neither did I. Um, those knuckleheads need to go to jail. But when you have a black right. woman as a prosecutor that's putting the knuckleheads in jail and, and so that, you know, black kids can go to school without having to cross gang territory, three different gang territories, you know, or, or you know, you know, or, or um, you know, a black woman being shot by a dude and like she she should like protect the dude. Like that, that's crazy to me. Uh, so I was drawn to the case for all those reasons, but I stuck, I didn't, but even though my emotions were like, you know, I'm like protect the woman, I still stuck to like, you know, what I heard of evidence and it was hard to find. It was jur- the law. It was, no, I knew the law. Cause I knew like, you know, Hey, look, I, you know, I did California law. So I knew Cal crim eight seventy five and nine seven. I knew what the prosecution had to prove. I knew what all these people were talking about. It had nothing to do that they had to prove, but you know, all this other stuff was happening. And, I, and I, you know, if you look at my timeline on MG Squared or at MG Squared on Twitter, all I do is talk about the law as it applies to the facts or the facts as it applies to the law. I don't talk. I don't get involved in the minutiae. I just talk about the law and what, you know, mm-hmm. and what I thought about the defense attorney who I think did a terrible job for his client. Honestly, honestly we, I can have a whole conversation about the mistakes. <laughs> of the, I mean, you, you can't call a witness that says your client is firing everywhere when you're charged with, uh, you know, assault with a deadly weapon, which means you're firing everywhere. I mean, like this, that's the, I mean, kind of what he was charged with, huh? Charged <laughs> with somebody got hurt and like, she didn't even have to get hurt, but she didn't actually get hurt. And, and a lot of people are missing this too. He wasn't just found guilty of assault with a deadly weapon, uh, albeit a firearm. He was found, it was found true by the jury in count one 
that he he used the firearm, which is called a 12022.5, um, which has a sentencing range of three, four, or 10 years. But it's also found true that he inflicted great bodily injury, which is 12022.7, which is another three to six years. So what he's facing is at least seven years. And in California, when you have a, this is called a strike, a strike conviction, um, you have to do 85% of that. It's not 50, it's not half time, good time. Um, that's at least seven years. But then remember, he has these aggravating factors too. Like, it, just, not even his whole life, just since he was charged. He got, he assaulted right. two people. He he was put on house arrest because he kept on violating the judge's like rulings. The judge had to do a restraining order to protect Megan the Stallion because he jumped up on stage a year ago when he was told not to. Um, so it's hard, it's going to be hard to at the sentencing hearing, which I think is going to be continued. I think they have to put on a whole case. I think they have to do like a whole case for him. Um, but um, he's, I mean, he's at least seven, but it's probably going to be ten to seventeen years. It's not going to be twenty. It's not going to be maxed out. I mean, nobody, mm-hmm. nobody gets really maxed out. Like actually, even in the most egregious crimes in California, you don't get really maxed out. So when people say he's facing a max of twenty-two to twenty-four years, that's not going to happen. Ten to seven, ten or seventeen is going to happen, right? Um, but the, mm-hmm. the the thing that got me is that our community, the black community, at least, and the, the people I engage with. Are, are, don't know about the law, number one. They don't. They don't know about what reasonable doubt is, right? Um, and then, mm-hmm. then you have these people, these false people that are coming online and saying this crazy stuff. Like, you know, you had this guy, lawyers for workers, that like, you know, on his own accord, got on TV and started talking about the case. And I'm like, you know, me and me and this other, you know, attorney, black attorney, um, named C.J. Lawrence, was just like, this guy's nuts. He's not. Even, I mean. Yeah, I mean, if and, and like you know, hey, you don't. Uh, and I always tell this on on democracy first, and and I've, I've told this to you. Ask your lawyer friend, like tell them what I said, and you know, say like, hey, my friend Mark said like A, B, and C. How, you know, if, if they think I'm wrong, like you know, I have no problem having that discussion. Most of the time, you know, most of the people I talk to, they know like you know, like hey, Mark doesn't really, he doesn't say shit he doesn't know about, and like you know, I'm right. not, and also I'm gonna be fair. I, I was fair to, to the defendant, to, uh, Daystar Peterson. I, I wasn't like, I said, hey, man, I, I can see I can see a hang on count one, but he's going to be guilty of count two and three. That's what I thought. Um, but once they, once they asked the question about a particular jury instruction, I knew it was going to be guilty. Though. They asked about the intent. Like, what does willful mean and what does is, what is on purpose mean? Which is the explanation in what I refer to as the jury instruction in CalCrim 875. Now, I had people arguing with me about, like, this case, and I'm like, man, I've done this case before. <laughs> and it's... Right. Me- yeah, meaning that you, you've done, like, uh, your domestic violence, that kind of thing. Um, and um, I know that that was one of the things we had, that uh, space that you had, the conversation that we had, um, it was wonderful and, and went in kind of some unexpected ways because I think what it, it, it drew attention to uh, was the fact that, like, um, you talked about um, – you know how just people in general were discussing the case and 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 their and commenting on it, and um, then you also kind of uh, alluded to how maybe you know not 
media per se, but some, you know, like social, you know, media influencers and that thing, discussing um, the case as well. And, and um, you know, like um, Vice President Kamala Harris, who is a black woman. And what I gathered from that um, conversation that we had that evening was that um, we have um, the this attitude of patriarchy that, you know, flourishes through, you know, a lot of conversations. And I even heard one person, you know, kind of talk about um, friends that she had, male friends, who she would not have thought um, them to be, you know, uh, misogynistic. Um, but their um, opinions about that case and, and the opinions they were making about uh, Megan, um, you know, Meg the Stallion, um, kind of revealed that. And I think that it also triggered something in me because another, you know, person uh, spoke uh, and they talked about, you know, how uh, prevalent, unfortunately, domestic violence is in our community and how um, people, um, even those who have, who are victims, um, sometimes um, seek to protect those who are, you know, offending and I'd like for you to, you know, kind of talk a little bit about that, if you would. Um, yeah. So like, you know. it's important. And I'm glad you brought up uh, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, because her background has always been. Uh, she, I, don't, I don't believe she did murder cases. Her background, is, uh, she did some of the toughest cases there are. are. She did child molestation cases, um, assault, rape cases, um, the, the toughest cases. Rape cases are the. They're very rarely prosecuted. They're very hard uh, because of the different, I mean, the, the different way. It's hard to prove when it's just two people, right? And you have to take one person's word or the other. Like, he, I said no, he raped me, right? Like, you know, it's just very difficult. Um, and, and also her, her uh, background as a DA is very strong on domestic violence uh, and, and, and protection um, of, of women, um, and, and it's not it's and it's not a surprise that she's the vice president to to Joe Biden who wrote the Violence Against Women Act. Um, exactly right. Right, and and and, and you know I was actually on a I, it, it, we call it VAWA, right? I was on a VAWA grant a lot. I, my, actually, my job was a VAWA grant. Um, that's actually kind of funny. Um, but in domestic violence cases, in these type of cases, a lot of people were saying there's no evidence, right? Um, and when someone testifies and they're recalcitrant, meaning they recant their original statement, um, the evidence code in, uh, you know, not just federally, but across the country allows you to use their prior statement to what is called impeach their testimony. Um, because you believe that for whatever reason, they're motivated to not tell the truth on the stand now. And they were telling the truth before. Right. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> So from an evidentiary standpoint, this case had a lot. Well, you know, you you had and, and, and just let, let me just, you know, as, let me be pure prosecutor here. You know, you had two witnesses that disappeared on the prosecution and like, you know, hey, the prosecution has every had every motive to have those piece, people appear. The defense did not. Um, I, mm -hmm. I can't I can't call it a fact, but uh, I'm pretty sure that the defendant has something to do with those, those witnesses disappearing. And I think the jury knew that. I think the jury also mm -hmm. knew that the best friend of Megan Pete, Kelsey, um, was not telling the truth on the stand. 
She was being very performative. As a matter of fact, she was so she was more emotional than than Megan Pete was. I, I think they I, I think they believed Megan the Stallion. They they I mean, and I, you know, from what I read about her testimony, she was very honest about. It. I mean, when she said, "I wish he had just killed me," you know, and and like you know, I, I think that when when she said that, it resonated because that that resonated with so many victims of domestic violence. I wish he would have just killed right. me. I'd rather be dead than because be it's like she was being re-victimized, yes. um, just having to have uh, her, um, you know, her assailant, you know, and also having to reveal get, uh, having to reveal who she had sex with. Like she, right, she doesn't right. Want to, why does she have to talk about her sex life? She got shot. Why is it even relevant? But this happens to women over and over again. It's it's you know it's not new, but it's it's sad that in 2022 uh it still remains so even though we know that that's a problem and and, and, and like if you if you want to extrapolate that if you look at rape cases and you look at and you separate all rape cases and just focus on black women the least reported the most the the most happening black women Mm -hmm. are i mean and in the and the reason why I, i the department of justice work i did was was training the police officers to recognize abuse uh, especially with mm-hmm. women, women of color, because they didn't take it seriously. Like, ah, it's almost like, hey, you're black. You can, you can, you can do it. You can hang in there. We're tough, right? Yeah, we're we're strong. That's that's the thing. You know, you know, we're we're strong. And, 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 um, and to re-educate the law enforcement approach to that, um, and also, which is, and like, this is like, this is literally what Kamala was trying to do, and and say like, hey, man, it, it starts in the home. I'm I'm focusing on the home. And that's why, you know, no matter whether I disagree with some of the policies or not, what her focus was, was the black home, the black family Mm -hmm. and the black community. And what she thought was, if I can keep the black community safe, all communities are going to be safe, you know, from a legal standpoint. Right. And 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 we had talked about this a little bit before, um, how this is such a prevalent thing within the black community. And, you know, I feel and, and someone else in, in your space that night said it, and I was so glad that they said it, that I feel that, you know, the reluctance for um, people in the black community to um, – to deal with this, to uh, to seek justice for it, has vestiges from slavery. You know, like uh, that, uh, you know, staying silent kind of thing, um, you know, sweeping things under the rug, not dealing with them. And this, you know, like we we can have many conversations about this, and I hope that, that we do, uh, about, you know, that's part of what, again, Advocacy Arena is about. I, I hope to have conversations with people regarding, you know, some mental health uh, things um, because um, I feel that, you know, just like, um, you know, our um, being victimized and not reporting it, uh, actually wanting to be safe in our communities yet, knowing that oftentimes um, it is, you know, black and brown people who uh, suffer a lot of police brutality and these types of things. So you have this thing that you have to weigh when you're um, in trouble 
and you need the police to do what the police are supposed to do, protect and serve, and they come into your community, you know, you, you want to be safe, but you know that there is um, oftentimes these um, incidents of, of, of bias and prejudice that uh, cause the police to act in um, very harmful ways to people who should be, you know, yes, they should be restrained, maybe even, you know, incarcerated or taken but you know oftentimes these people end up dead you know or or you know other um awful things so you know the trauma like just is compounded over and over so these things are going through you know victims heads when they're in our community over things like that and um what are what's your what's your thoughts on that how how do we begin to kind of you know address some of these things well it's not you know, snitch mentality is not germane just to black community. There's like, you know, nobody, the snitch thing is like a generational thing. I mean, it's a communal thing. Yeah, it's, it's community. It's, it's white people yeah. too. Like, you know, like the mafia, right. remember the mafia, like you, you're a snitch. You're, exactly. You're, That's you're, what, you're, you're mm-hmm. a dirty rat. You're a rat. Right. So it's not, it's not just, right. it's not just black people. Um, and, yeah. and also, you know, I, 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 you know, I reject black on black crime. Right. Oh, absolutely. Right. I, so I don't, I don't want to. I mean, I it's, it's that community as, as a concept. It, it, it makes no sense because otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, why don't you say white on white crime? Then? Like, you know, right. Or brown on brown crime or like, you know, Asian on Asian crime, because crime is not uh, it, it's it's um, it, it's monolithic. So, like, you, you know, mm-hmm. people commit crimes around people they live with. Like, you know, mm-hmm. whomever broke into your house probably is your neighborhood. They didn't, mm-hmm. they didn't come from anywhere else. Right. That's usually that's general though. I'm I'm just saying that. So mm-hmm. that's just right. that's just that. But um violence against women is is um it it's something that's god it, it's it, it has so much to do with who we are as a country and where you know in our laws and um it's not just limited to black women. Right. You mm-hmm. know, so I, I've, I've had I've seen cases and I, I had to be very careful not to talk about this actual case. I've seen cases where a CEO of a corporation was a victim of domestic violence. She was uh, like being very badly battered and no one knew about it until like it was it got really bad. Um, so there's been I, I've seen cases where senators daughters were being battered. U.S. senators' mm-hmm. daughters that that needed that that like we had to work with, um, so you know there's there's it's not it's not it's not racial it's not it's not um, it, it it's not um, class it's just something that's ingrained in our society um, where we would you say that that's the patriarchal it's, aspects it's, of well, it's not just patriarchal. It's it's misog. It's, it, there's a bit of misogyny in there, and also you know mm-hmm. value, mm-hmm. right? You know you don't you don't you don't hit people you value. You don't hurt people you value. You don't hurt people you love. I know I know people want to say like it's like you know I, I think Lenore Walker in 1973 she made the wheel the uh, she made the domestic violence wheel. There's always there's mm-hmm. this like always this wheel. Her name was Lenora Walker, and I think it's seventy three. She made this wheel. It's like you know the honeymoon phase, then the violence recovery, and like you know honeymoon phase again. And it, she had all these things. If you look it up, you can 
you can see all these little things. I'm so sorry. I love you. You know, I, you know, mm -hmm. and then also like, it also has to do with like, I can never live without you, but then I can never live without you. The thing that comes next after I, I can never live without you says, if I can't live it's, with you, that, nobody that can. No one. Right. So you got to right. be careful about those, you know, those, those word tracks are like kind of scary to me. Like, you know, I, I've had, a, my little sister had, was in some relationships where someone said, I can't never live. I can't live without you. I'm like, Whoa, like, you know, that's not romantic. Mm. Um, exactly. And she's like, it's it's not like the romantic state. <laughs> no, but I, I'm so glad that she has you because I mean, um, being, you know, myself, um, you know, um, the victim of, um, you know, um, assault um, and um, as a child experience uh, you know uh, domestic violence in, in my home and in, in, in the community it just um, like I said it, I just feel that uh, some of these cycles um, need to be broken and I, I feel like um, starting to have the conversation is the beginning of that I don't know that any of us had you know I ask you the question but you know I know it's not like um, um, a simple solution to, um, no, you know, no, it's not. Uh, such a, it's about education mm -hmm. and also, um, talking about it like we're doing right now, but, you know, and, mm -hmm. and like you, I think that's probably why we, we bond so much. I, you know, I witnessed, you know, my mom getting, um, assaulted by my father, like, you know, when I was a kid mm -hmm. and I couldn't understand, I, I, I still can't understand, like, you know, my, my, my father had two beautiful boys and a beautiful girl who were, were athletes, who were scholars. I mean, I was, I was like, you know, I mean, I went, uh, you know, I, I went to a Naval Academy for a year. I mean, I, I, I did, I did, you know, we, he had an exceptional family, but he still resorted to violence and, and brutality with regard to my mother. Um, and, you know, some, in some, in some instances, I thought that I was prosecuting my dad when I was prosecuting these cases. And I was, that was very emotionally tolling to me. Um, and, mm -hmm. and, and the thing that hit with regard to the Megan the Stallion case is I saw some of these same dudes. I saw the same mentality. It, it was it was consistent with what I grew up with. This this misogynistic and misogyny is like the good word. I, I don't really like mm -hmm. using these words, but misogyny is a good word to call it because I saw I saw it consistently with regard to her just saying I was shot, and this dude shot me. And then people say, mm -hmm. people say that that's not evidence. Well, it is evidence. That's like actually the best evidence there is in life. Right. There's, it happened. There's, there's no, there's no better evidence than a, direct, a witness that says I got shot and that, that guy right there shot me. But, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. They're like no DNA. And here's the thing. And here's the thing. And, and it, like, it, it, this is actually the funniest part and the irony of that we're together and all of us are together because I, you know, I have all these things. I mean, the case happened in California, so I can't help that. Mm -hmm. And I used to work for the judge. So like, I, I know, right. I, know I know how, I mean, things. I know it's, but yes. I also cross examined the, the defense DNA expert in a case where it was all based on DNA and I won the case based upon DNA. So I knew that when he testified, um, I didn't, it was, his name is Mark Taylor. And I was like, Mark Taylor, I remember Mark Taylor. So I had to go look up in my, I had to get my, I had to get my, my thumb drive. Uh, I got my thumb drive. <laughs> I'm saying, no, let me look for this no, name. This, this is the, this has everything on it. All the, all my briefs, oh. all my briefs. Um, I got the thumb drive, thumb drive off and I, I was like, you know, let me, you know, 
let me look at what this dude said. Now he's not a he's not a bad DNA guy, but when he testified, he just said, "Hey, if he fired the gun, you know, five times, I'd expect it to be conclusive." Well, the gun was fired five times. He didn't say so. So there was like you know in DNA when you have a mixture interpretation. I'm not going to get too far down the rabbit hole of DNA, right? I I can actually do I can actually do a lecture on DNA. Okay, but I'm saying that when you have a mixture interpretation. A guy saying, "Well, if he had fired it five times, I'd expect it to be conclusive. He'd be on that." Well, that, that's like that's like in a vacuum, right? He's saying like, in when I test the if I fire the gun five times in a in a control room, I'm going to have my DNA on there. That's not mixture interpretation. Um, it's not saying anything about how the gun was manipulated or moved or who touched it, wiped down, whatever. You always have right. mixtures on guns in every, almost every criminal case. There's always a mixture of DNA. If you have a DNA case, um, and the DNA, the case that I won, the case, the, the case that I won, it was all DNA. I mean, the, the, you know, it was just DNA. Um, but it, you know, but he didn't say anything about a major profile, a major contributor, though. That's what I wanted to hear. And but you had mm-hmm. all these people for all these Tory Lanes bloggers talking about he is There's no DNA. I'm like, that's not what he said, number one. Number two, it doesn't matter because guess who said they shot him? Meg said he shot me. I don't care if there was DNA. And she was there. And then right. the GSR. People don't understand GSR. GSR does not win cases, does not lose cases. <laughs> I mean, GSR is just there like, you know what, it could help you or it doesn't. Explain. Yeah, it kind of explain if a little bit. If you have no yeah. GSR on you, then like actually it could help you. If, but if, if there was a question as to whether you were the shooter, but when someone says you shot me and you have no GSR on you, that doesn't matter, right? So the GSR on the DNA, people just went off on that and like because of these bloggers like DJ Academics, this Lawyers for Workers, um, this Say Cheese website, um, this Millie, Millie Grams, whatever. The, Never these, heard of these, cl- of these clowns. Well, I just found out about them because people were like, you know, directing me to them. And I was like, I, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. want, I didn't want, and I, you know, I, I said, I'd be happy to debate with y'all. I'd be happy to. And like, when I talked to Kenny, like he's the one that like told me to do that. You know, he's like, Hey man, you need to do this space. And uh, you know, I, I wanted to do this space because I was just like, you know what? People need to understand why this happened. And then also what the consequences and the consequences and the effects are. The effects are a guy got hurt, held accountable for hurting a woman. The consequences are is that, you know, no wonder Russia was trying to, you know, focus on black folks and disinformation and misinformation. No wonder this happened. Because every all these sites got set up over the last four years. I never even heard of these sites before. All these bloggers coming out. Right. You know, these, these people are, this, this all happened. Remember, all, the disinformation, misinformation happened from 2016 on. Last, well, not last four years, last six years. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we were sharing information that was accurate, and all of a sudden, you know, you can, you got to look shit up now. Like even I do. I'm like, man, I don't, I- exactly. And you just can't take people's word. It's like you definitely need receipts. I mean, we've been saying that, but but we definitely need to be operating in a world of, of receipts and, and reliable resources. And, and that brings me to an article that you shared with me from uh, someone that I follow on Twitter, Asha. Um, and um, she that was a great article, by the way. And, and I, I bring it up now because you, you were talking about, you know, like um, misinformation and disinformation and how 
how, um, you know, it is proliferating since, you know, the former guy was in office and how, you know, in Democracy First, we talk a lot about, you know, like literally democracy, things that because our democracy is truly under an active attack and it is from within and and things like uh, this, um, oftentimes it's not always just direct political things that we need to be, you know, centered around or thinking about because the this disinformation comes in um, to the society to start to try to change people's ideas and informations and kind of get them used to and accepting, you know, lies, basically change, setting the stage slowly, changing the narrative, changing what, you know, people's um, find acceptable, you know, and getting things that would not otherwise be acceptable uh, brought to uh, acceptability just by it being repeated over and over again in different circles and different places. And that brings me to one of the things that um, Asha also spoke about in that article was that Meghan Markle, another Meghan, um, and um, the Meghan and Harry um, documentary that is now uh, airing on Netflix, which I watch and I'm now rewatching again because I think it is uh, worth the rewatch because I'm, I'm watching it now through, you know, this new lens of, you know, like really because it was very evident to see that they realized that a narrative had been set about them, yep. particularly her. And they knew they they knew that they needed to combat that narrative, and um, create their own narrative. I was so happy because in the beginning, like she said, just as a black woman, it just uh, resonated with me when she said, you know, so many people, you know, have told our story and are telling our story, and I thought it was time that we, you know, that I tell my story, and and I was glad that they took the reins and did that because it, you know so right. many so oftentimes that happens just to our black history in general. We don't get to tell it, you know. And and being that she is a woman, she's black, and and this is her life, and um, she's being um, attacked and 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 bullied, and um, so she took the reins and decided to tell you know, her own story. And I think that documentary went a long way to counter the narrative and to reset the narrative because you have all these British tabloids and and, and these people have, you know, labeled her or narcissist and, and all sorts of things. Right. And she's fighting not only the, the British tabloid, but the the monarchy and, and their machine, you know, and they have their own, you know, um, PR and propaganda machine as well. So she's fighting all of these things. And, and those two things kind of collide. Those stories collide with both Megan's, you know, how yeah. other people are, you know, like um, telling the narrative about these women that are, is just not true and how it takes us having conversations like this, um, you know, telling the truth and, and countering uh, those narratives and calling them out. Uh, so, you know, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about that because I wasn't familiar with any of those podcasts because, again, I'm kind of like you, you know, being in my 60s. I'm aware of Megan Thee Stallion, but, you know, not so much the music, you know, when she comes on award shows and things like that or she's in the media. I'm, I'm aware, but I, um, like, um, would love to hear you kind of speak um, 
uh, about that article or about, you know, like, you know, disinformation, misinformation, these two Megans, that story a little bit? Well, you know, I can't help but find parallels between Kamala Harris, uh, Megan Markle, um, and Megan Pete, um, and the way they've been mm-hmm. treated, not necessarily interjecting themselves into public life. They are they are superstars. Like, you know, whether you like it or not, they are superstars. They're rock stars. Like Megan Markle's a princess. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean she's a princess. Um a real live black princess. A real, a real life, <laughs> and, and 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 well let's skip to let's skip to this skip to that. That's the problem. White women yes. can't dig a real life black princess. That, that, I mean, that's that's really the issue when it comes to Meghan Markle. Mm-hmm. White people can't grasp a black woman vice president. White and black dudes who is can't who grasp, is more than qualified. Okay, more than qualified, can't grasp a, the biggest rap star in the game being a woman and unapologetic talking about what she wants to talk about, doing what she wants to do, right. using her sexuality to make money like they do, right? Because mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, rappers talk about sexuality all the time. Black dudes, right. the black rappers do. They talk about all their exploits in their raps. When she does mm-hmm. it, though, it's something different, right? So you have this, again, we, we, you know, we turn to misogyny, but it's also slave mentality too, though. When it comes to the black very woman. much so so all of a sudden mm-hmm. protect black women becomes something else like i'm jealous of black women um and stay in your place and, and, you and, know? and also that and, and also that's the reason why you know i hate like hey look man i, I grew up with this I, I seen a dude react to his wife being more successful than him and resorting to violence to put her in her place in my household so i seen this i seen this attitude firsthand and i know what it looks like i know what it and, what, and I also know what it feels like, and it hurts. Even even at 51 years old, it hurts me when I look at my own family and look at my wife and my children, and knowing I would never, I you know I would never I looked at my <laughs> I would never look at her like that. I want I mean I would love for her to be more successful than me. Like that I mean that's great. And she, right. and she in most ways she is actually. She, if I told you what she did and who she worked with, like mm-hmm. you'd be like amazed. Um, and, and but you know we're the violence part is out, right? So where violence enters it is because, you know, how we were treated historically, right? Um, it's, it's, it's also, there's, there's like a bunch of connections. There's a, there's a bunch of like, you know, like I always talk about cases when I look at cases, I always talk about constellations. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, even in, even in the, in, in a, like, I'm going to digress. Even when you look at the people versus Daystar, you look at different points of evidence, everybody goes like, oh my God, Sean Kelly testified that the girl shot first. I'm like, that's not, that wasn't the testimony. He said that, but like, you got to listen to the whole testimony. Cause he, cause he was like talking about, I mean, and, and from his perspective, there was this movie, I forgot, I forgot this movie. It was like about this assassination attempt on the president in like Europe. And it, it like, but it was from different perspectives and each perspective was totally different. Right. And that's how cases are like, you know, we, Sean Kelly saw something happening and he, and he heard gunfire and saw muzzle. He saw flashes 
people talk about muzzles on on social media. He never said muzzle. He just said flashes, right? So, uh, so what I'm saying is that, like, you know, people, you know, when when, when you look at Kamala, and you look at the immediate disdain and vitriol that she faced it's similar to serena williams faces the same thing too yes yes like mm -hmm. i mean katanji brown jackson you you're not supposed to be smart oh um my daughter brought mr teddy so like mr teddy's here um hello (laughs) she brought mr teddy um when you look at katanji brown jackson the same vitriol she's not but you know hey man these are these these are the we are the vitriol. I, I mean, think about. I, I mean, sometimes I'm like, I'm like, how are you feeling, D? When the best of us, the best black women that there are in their game or in their field or doing what they do are faced with this kind of vitriol, what are we? And, and we support that. Do you support it or do you not? Well, two choices. Do you support it or do you not? But even if you don't, when you look at that, how do you feel? Like, you know, I mean, how do I feel as an average black dude? When I look at like, you know, I, damn, the, the, you know, a vice president, Supreme Court justice, greatest tennis player ever, a princess, aren't good enough for y'all? Well, we're not, they're not even trying to be good enough for you. They're not trying to be good for you. That's why you hate them so much. Right. That's why you. Have, that's why you hate them, and you have to write this nasty shit about them being a. They're narcissists because they don't fall within your framework. That I mean, that article by Politico, trash, trash. Like she doesn't fit. On any logic, she doesn't fit in that article. Right, and to be belittled for wanting to recognizing that you need some help like you're suffering mentally and then to be demonized and 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 ridiculed for that who, who can put up, I mean who can put up, I mean who can put up with that I mean that it to me is is it's it's psychotic it's that's crazy it is psychotic. I mean it's like it's it's it's, it's so it, it's sociopathic exactly exactly and I'm like who you know, I am so glad that they they left, that they made that decision to leave together, and everything that they have done since then. I and, think and, and that I, they and, are breaking some cycles, right. breaking. And, and, and I'm not giving. You know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not giving Harry any special. He doesn't get a medal because he's a white dude that supported his wife. He gets a medal because he supported his wife. Mm-hmm. Like exactly. I don't. He care saw who what he is. she needed. Yes, he need he he addressed her needs like you said as a husband to a wife and, and, you here, know? and here's the, here's the crazy part there is a there is a if we drew a diagram right there's a subplot the connection between princess diana and hillary with Meghan Absolutely. Markle, right when you look at hillary if you talk to people that met hillary they're like that's the sweetest person i ever met in my life like I, my life changed Ever, like I've never met anybody that met Hillary Clinton that didn't say the same thing. Like, like incredibly personable person. I mean, she started her career working for the Children's Legal Defense Fund. She, she, I mean, this is who she is. And, and the political mindset, she had to be. She was tough. You know, she was who she was, but she got creamed. 
to the point where she, I mean, like, hey, look, man, you know, when the, when the handlers took over, she was crying in New Hampshire, like she broke down. Then she started winning, but like she lost, right? But then, like, you know, in 2016, though, like, who are these people? What, what did they know? What I mean, like, I'm just like, when I when I go back to 2016, and I'm I'm here now talking to you. What, what before we we started talking? When I was thinking about, I was running today, and I was I was thinking about the law. And actually, like, my wife asked me. A, contract question that was it's kind of funny i was thinking about the law she's like i need a clause <laughs> <laughs> nice to have a, a, a lawyer handy <laughs> uh, well, a, a former 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 practitioner right but like you know okay but she said she said i need a clause i was like okay honey here's like here you go <laughs> and i'm on my i'm on mile, mile 1.7 on a five mile run i'm giving like my wife like contract clauses I'm like, how come you don't? Oh, how, wow. how come you already have this boilerplate? I'm like, how come you don't already have this? She's like, just give me the clause. <laughs> she's like, just, just give me the language, man. I didn't ask you. Like, I didn't ask you why. And like, she was, she was very much. Of a don't, I, I don't need all of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave it to her. She's like, thank you, baby. I was like, okay, let me. I gotta finish my run. But um, think about think about this. The most the the most qualified person in the history of America to run for president. And I was thinking like. I'm thinking. I'm thinking about this case. I'm like, man, if she'd have won, I don't even know if me and you would even know each other now. Right. I mean, would there even be democracy first? I'm looking at the Supreme. I have the Supreme Court justices up right now, so I can like refer to them. Three of them wouldn't be there. It'd be three different people. Um, Roe, Roe versus Wade would still be the law of the land. The Voting Rights Act would have passed. I mean, like, there's like a lot. There's like a lot of stuff that would have happened that it, that has not happened um, because of the consequence of that election. And we're still trying to make up for that. And then we're adding we're adding youth and teaching. You know, and like there's people that like you know some of my students listen to Democracy First when I'm on. Um, they hear they hear adults talking. They hear people talking to me. Um, and in some, in some ways I have to say stuff I say, because I don't want them thinking that when they come to class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to get, you know, start to get to the kind of wrap up, sure, uh, sure. but again, I, I love this. I hope to do many more with you yeah. and I am so excited that, you know, like I said, you're my first interview for advocacy arena and our discussions around I, democracy. I, I am honored. I am honored. <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, you talked about, um, Hillary Clinton and, and I love what you just said. I mean, it's the perfect, uh, you know, entry point into our, our wind down because, um, that is kind of the kind of conversations that I want to continue to have, um, because we are at a very, um, dangerous place um, in our democracy and there are uh, so many things like um, the the demonization that is going on of of, of women that are in uh, positions of, of power whether it be you know from pop, pop culture influencers or you know um, from you know our government you know uh, the president you know vice president and and those things but um, we talked about how um, Things might have been different, but, you know, we are where we are right now. 
And um, so I, that is why I'm so passionate about having the continued discussions that we have around democracy, these cases that are pending before the Supreme Court, what they could mean um, to our rights, um, to our democracy. And um, I just started digging into uh, the Rachel Maddow uh, podcast. I, I love her because, you know, she's a teacher at heart. So even and she's, though she, and she's from the Bay, she's from the Bay Area, Castro Valley, too, by the way outside of Oakland. I know, I know. And I, I just love her because the way that she gives the news to you, she, she gives you that history and that background. And I started listening to her ultra podcast, you know, and um, I think it's very, very significant and want to have some, some more conversations around some of these um, characters because it's like it's kind of not the first time that we've been here. Um, you know, where fascism is on the rise. Um, but it's important that we, we talk about it. We look at the, the, um, the effects of it on our lives, um, on our country. And um, I would like to, you know, like give you an opportunity to just, you know, give us um, some of your closing thoughts about um, – how you see, like, um, we had the January 6th uh, committee, uh, which did an excellent job to, um, you know, lay down in history, the annals of history for us, what happened when this former guy um, and his minions um, decided to uh, stop the peaceful transfer of power for the first time in our history. Um, and this is why I love talking to you. I want to continue talking to you about these things because, um, you know, the law is being uh, – they're using the law. Like we use, you know, the law. We had wonderful people like Thurgood Marshall who helped to use the law for us to get these rights. And now they are using um, these laws to take our rights away and, you know, like, where do we need to be focusing and how do we need to be focusing? Because, you know, I'm about solutions um, um, to try to um, kind of counter this and to, to fight back um, because we can no longer sit on the sidelines. There, this is not the time. We, we can, you know, because silence is complicity at this point. Correct. Everybody has to be involved. So I'd just like to get some thoughts around that for, uh, from you. Well, uh, a couple of things you, you made me think of. You, you, you mentioned one of my heroes, um, Thurgood Marshall. And, like, um, God, I love Thurgood Marshall because he understood that even though we had the 13, even though we have the Bill of Rights and the United States Constitution, we weren't mentioned in them, right? Like our existence, like when I talk about my existence as an American citizen, it wasn't, it, it's not as an originalist. Um, the 13th and 14th and 50th Amendment to the Constitution are why we're able to be here. So when we talk about the makeup of the Supreme Court, you're talking about how my existence can be interpreted one way or another, depending on the case and how rights that are construed by the same constitution that gives everybody else rights that were only guaranteed by three amendments to me can be either limited or expanded. Thurgood Marshall only argued separate but equal. Think about his argument. He had to argue for one hour and 37 minutes 
about separate being inherently unequal to overturn partially 1896's Plessy versus Ferguson and just to obliterate 1857's Dred Scott um, versus Sanford. Um, so, you know, a lot of these cases that we hold on to, they're, they're partial, they're, they're partial resolutions. We have to keep on going. It, it, it didn't stop with the civil rights movement is still going on because as much as the force of change happened 50 years ago, there was always been a force of unchange and sustainability with regard to the way things were. Make America great again is about that. That's the movement about making America great before 1954. So you don't have to go to school with these black dudes and gals. That's what that shit is for, legally. Like, it's not even a secret. And, like, you see them coming out the woodwork. But, like, from a constitutional perspective, look at, if you, I would I would challenge everybody that listens to this to listen to Thurgood Marshall's argument. It, you can Google it. Thurgood Marshall argues um, Brown versus Board of Education. It, it's a, he, he's a very succinct and, like, clear person. And all he's arguing is make things equal. Like so that I can go and eat at Wool I can go shop at Woolworths and 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 dine at the same place white people do. And not have to go through the back door. And not or, have to go through the know, back door and all in a corner. Like like, like like you know, uh, Jesse Owens had to do at his own his own celebration in New York after he won the gold medal for America. Right? Or or right. like my grandfather that came back from World War Two having to leave Monroe, Louisiana because he saw a dude hanged and like go to California. Um, this is all personal for us. And then when you look at it constitutionally, it becomes more personal and you understand why a little, a little kid from Oakland that, you know, had a thing for the law became the, the top constitutional law guy in his class because it was personal. Right. And then you move forward with all these arguments and all these little, you look at the little things that happened to native Americans, you look at these little, little these little bites they're taking off of our rights, the Voting Rights Act not being passed, not being renewed, and then what Shelby County did, and then like you know we can look at Shelby County, we can look at all Citizens United, all these cases that happen in the Supreme Court mean something because of the makeup of the Supreme Court, and how the makeup of the Supreme Court was determined was because of the way people voted. That's why there you go. you're important with Advocacy Arena. That's why it's important that people start to really dig into voting, right? Just you vote local and all politics is local, but the way, why we're in this vote right now is because people didn't vote 20 years ago and 16 years ago and 12 years ago and eight years ago and four years ago and now. It's so close because you're not voting. So you got to get out and vote. And then also these things need to change that are that these little things need to change. Uh, you know, it's going to take a while to, I mean, I'm not even sure in my lifetime we can change the makeup of the Supreme Court. I mean, probably in my lifetime, Justice, uh, um, Justice Clarence Thomas is probably not going to be on for the rest of my life. Uh, I'm not wishing any death on him, but I'm saying he's not going to make it like, you know, 20 years from now. Right. Um, 
but that's a five four court if he, if, he, if he decides to step down right we i mean it was right. so big the loss in 2016 was so big it was generational so now what we have to do is we have to have a strong congress an article one there's a reason why article one is legislature article two is executive branch the president article three is judiciary the the founding fathers thought about the legislature first because they represent the people remember it was a compromise to make it a bicameral you know uh congress mm-hmm. senate and and right and and so we these local elections this george santos do like how the fuck did he who, who was his opponent right that's a rhetorical question like did you not know this like dude like what the Dude said he was black two years ago. I'm, I, I'm like, where was the opposition where, research? I mean, who, you, he said he had a black father and a white mother, and now he's Jewish. I'm like, and then he said he graduated from Brook College. I'm like, did you check anything? Like, did you know who you're running against? Like, any? I mean, I can just basically say like, I was like, you know, hey man, I'm I'm literally I'm literally Tom Hanks, and I'm running for office. <laughs> I mean, really, at this point, any of us could. We could just make up, but, you know, our story from whole cloth. But, and this is where we are. But my closing remarks would be in this sense is that we've been complacent about our democracy. We've been too complacent. And in some cases, we've been too marginalized with regard to how we want our democracy to fit us. There's, there's general and then there's specific, right? So you have to have democracy in order for you to fit. Um, you know, there's things that we want, right? You know, every, you know, there's black people want a lot of stuff, right? We want, we want reparations, but you can't get reparations unless you have democracy. Okay. And you can, you can't, and you surely can't get reparations unless you got a vote, right? Matter of fact, they won't even vote to look at it. They have never done that in 50 years. You know, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, honorable gentleman from, from Detroit, uh, proposed reparations study for 40 years and never got it. And so, right. so uh, you know, the first thing that we have to do, and I'm being like my uncle from the Thanksgiving table, I hate, I hate doing this, but we have, we have, we, we have to, we have to, we have to love the fact that we're in a democracy and we're able, we're able to do these things. Right. Like, you, you know, like, not be like, hey, they won't give us stuff. Like, well, we you have to love that you're in a democracy where you can even say that. Because look at the world. Right. Look at the world. Right. And then and then like I mean, and then like no how do you get the things you want? Is it federal or is it state? Or is it local? Right? You know, if you want your property taxes reduced, don't blame President Biden. Right. That's a local issue. So that's that's my that's my closing argument. And also like, you know, pay attention to D. On, on on Twitter and like hey like if if you want to hear some stuff like you know if you want to hear some stuff like you know about the kind I sometimes I'm funny sometimes I'm I'm not but like you know I'm a, I'm a big nerd most of the time I'm just like making these comments randomly I I liked getting involved in the I, actually I got I told you I was getting I was gonna get like ghetto and get involved in the in the Tory Lanez because I didn't know it was gonna get all serious like I didn't know I didn't know I was gonna be that serious I honestly didn't. D, I remember I told you, I said, hey, like, don't, I know I've been talking about the Constitution, but I'm about to get involved in this Tory Lanez case. I was actually, you know, like thinking it was going to be like, you know, kind of fun banter. But I was like, whoa, this shit is serious because it these black pulled off a scab, didn't it? <laughs> well, not just that, but like 
these black people are being like, you know, led astray, being bamboozled and being mm-hmm. hoodwinked by by this force that was coming at her. And I still don't understand it. And I, you know, I, I you know, I, I don't think it's my place to, you know, I think there's more, you know, there's more to be discovered about it, but I don't understand. But I knew it was similar to stuff I felt before. And I, it was similar mm-hmm. to how it came after Kamala. It was similar to how these people were coming after Meghan Markle. There's different people. You know, white folks are cut, white ladies do not like Meghan Markle. Black, right. you know, like for some reason, some people don't like VP Harris because she was is she who she is, and you know, mm-hmm. knowing her personally, I don't understand that as, as a closing argument, and because nobody knows her, and if you knew her, you'd be like, she, you'd be like, damn, she's hella cool, like Hillary. And right. then and glad then, she's on our team. And then, <laughs> well, the same with Serena and, and like I, I mentioned, I brought in Serena because I'm like, man, and I'm sure there's countless others. I'm sure there's countless others, and I'm sure you have you you, you know you probably have your own story. And like I, I know there's and women in leadership face these obstacles, especially black women in leadership. Um, and I can tell you this, man. I you know, and I'm gonna I'm, I know we can go on for like three hours, but we're not gonna go on for three hours. <laughs> I, I literally, whenever I've been in a leadership position, I've always surrounded myself by, you know, if, if I was chosen to be such, I surrounded myself by, by women and, and even more specifically black women, because I, I, I um, you know, I needed that support and, um, and I've served black women who have been in uh, superior positions and I was their support um, unapologetically, unequivocally and trying to do the best that I could for them. So, Um, that's my story. Well, thank you. And I am so glad that you support this black woman. And I am so glad that you've agreed to come here and uh, talk to us here in Advocacy Arena. And I, I, as I said, I hope it's the first of many conversations that we get to have. And um, I want to um, bid you good evening. And I will um, be talking to you again soon. And uh, I look forward yeah, I look forward um, to sharing this um, once I get it uploaded, and um, you know, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, bringing more people, yeah, bringing more people to the party. So it's, um, it's my pleasure. Thank have you. a good evening. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, D. All right. Likewise. Thank you. And um, I'm going to close this out now, and um, we'll talk again soon. Okay. Okay. Bye.